Amen. All of us are heading a direction in our lives. And if you think about it, it's probably the direction you want to go. You say, no, no, Dan, I don't, I'm not happy with my life. I wish everything was different. I wish I could go a different way. And as many times as we say that to ourselves, uh, I would encourage you, I would challenge you, that you are on the road right now that you are choosing to be on. And the amazing hope that the Bible gives us is that it's possible for you to turn around. It's possible for you to choose something different. It's possible for God to give you power to do things you thought were impossible. And so, so many times when we are heading a direction we don't like, we say, well, I just can't change. I, I, I wouldn't know where to begin. I've tried before. I, I see other people who go a different way, and I wish I could be like them, but it's not that way for me. Jesus died so that you could be free from your sin. He died so that you could be changed and transformed and that everything could be different for you today and in the future. And all you have to do is humble yourself, like we've been talking about, and get really honest with God and say, Lord, I need your grace. I need your power to do something in my life that I can't do on my own And so I'm going to choose in this moment to go your way instead of my way. We call that repentance. See, humility and honesty are attitudes of the heart. They're a posture of your heart. Repentance is when you stand up and you do something different on the basis of what happened in your heart. And so you get humble before God and say, Lord, I need you. And you get honest and you say, Lord, here, I I recognize I don't have anything to hide. I'm I'm not going to pretend anymore. I really need your help. And you stand up and then instead of continuing to walk your way, you turn around and you walk God's way. Today we're going to learn how to do that. And my prayer for you And maybe there's a few in this this room who need this urgently in your life right now. My prayer is that in this next segment of our service that you would turn around and that everything about your future would be different, not because of what I'm about to say or even because of the passages I'm about to read, but because you in your heart decide, finally, I am willing to go God's way instead of my way. That change, that moment moves everything, changes everything about your future. Now, long ago, uh, there was a famous historical character. Can anybody tell me who this is? Martin Luther, right. So about 500 years ago, Martin Luther became famous for nailing a set of statements to the door of his church. Back in the day, before Facebook, that's what people did, believe it or not. Their wall was the church door. It was like a big bulletin board. And if you really thought, you know, somebody needs to say this, this has got to get out, you went and you put it on the door of the church. Martin Luther saw the condition of spiritual life in the church that he went to and the churches all around him and said, something has to change. This is way off course. And so he had all this boldness to do this. And today we look back in history and we realize, wow, his action of taking a stand for what was right literally changed the history of our whole civilization. And even if you were to take a secular history course today that had no religious connotation, they would have to mention this moment because it really turned the whole direction of the West. 
say, well, what happened? What did he post? What was so important? Well, here's what was happening in the churches of his day. People had grown so far removed from the teaching of Jesus that they started to think that religion was like a big game. And they started to think that if they could just sort of appease God or check off enough boxes of traditions that they could get away with whatever they wanted to really do. And so rather than having their heart change and have an authentic relationship with God, people started to get the idea that they could sort of bribe God. They could sort of pay off God. They could, they could make sure God was happy with them over here, but still really live the life they wanted to live over there. And it got to the point of corruption that even some of the church officials were buying into this. And they were buying in because it was really personally beneficial. So one of the things they would throw out there is if you give money to the church, that gives you more grace with God. Suddenly, you're, it's, it's, it's a win-win, especially for richer people. Well, you could, you could sin, you could, you could fail, you could walk your own way. We'll sell you an indulgence, and you'll, you'll be able to get away with it. You'll rebalance the scales. And so, well, this went on and on. And I mean, Martin Luther was a monk who had access to the Bible for himself, and many people in that era did not. So he was reading in the book of Romans about how God actually was after people's hearts and how people would be made right with God, not because they kiss a statue or give some money or do some religious ritual, but because their heart would change and God would work in them and they were supposed to put faith in Jesus to save them, not some church organization. Martin Luther, he's reading the book of Romans and he's going, this is a lot different than what I see happening around me. So what God did in his heart prompted him to write these 95 statements that he nailed to the wall and as such changed the history of our whole civilization as people woke up to what a real authentic relationship with God was to be like. You say, well, what were these statements that were so important? I mean, some of them had to do with specific issues in that time and confrontations against sin that he saw in the churches and even among the leadership of the churches. But here's the first statement, and I think it's the most important and it's really relevant for us right now today. Martin Luther wrote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. So this kind of calls out the idea that faith can't be a game. It's it's not as if you can say, oh yeah, yeah, I repent, I'm like a part of a church, and if I sin, I'll just give a bigger offering, or I'll do some good works, or I'll I'll go and make my pilgrimage to Rome or something, and then I'll be okay. He says, no, no, that's not what Jesus intended at all. When Jesus said repent, when he asked us to turn around, it wasn't some sort of game. He actually wants your whole life to, to demonstrate this turnaround that literally you move from going one way, your own way, to going a new way entirely. So I look at our condition today in, in my heart and our church's heart and churches all over the place and say, do we still need to pay attention to Martin Luther's first statement? Is this, still, is this still a message that needs to get through? Well, I've never heard of anyone playing games with God, have you? Oh, wait, that does still happen. Oh, we put different dressing on it. We have different religious terminology that we put on it. But we still, sometimes even in our own lives, I remember doing this myself where, you know, I would sin and I would feel temptation and say, well, I know I can get away with it because maybe God will, you know, he'll still forgive me, of course. And Lord, I'll, I'll sin, but I'm going to go read the Bible afterwards. Like, I'm going to make a deal. Say how how far that is from what Jesus actually died to make possible. That that the heart of our faith is not to say, how much can you get away with and still go to heaven? 
the heart of our faith is to say, how close can I get to Jesus? How, how close can I get to love? What does it look like to really run his direction? So repentance, to me, is an incredible piece of the good news because it means that you don't have to keep going in your own way. You can turn around. So here's just sort of a visualization of how this works. My will, my way, my pride, my lust, my greed, my way of thinking, my, my rights to do whatever I want. We're born into that, and we all know what that feels like. And when you say we're born into it, when does it really show up? Like parents, when would you guess? Like maybe nine months, ten months? I mean, it's pretty early on that all of a sudden you're like, oh, I didn't birth a real angel here. This is actually a human being. Well, they, so they, you know, the smiles are still there, but suddenly, my, mine. I mean, the, no, they're, they're asserting their will, their will, their way. Some people never grow out of that. Repentance is the moment you turn around and you say, you know what? Whatever my age, I recognize I wasn't created to pursue my will and my way. God actually made me to walk in his will and in his way. Repentance is when you turn around and you start going this new direction. So what I want to do is offer you a little bit of definition. And some of you who are studying along in the book, you've you've gotten into this this week. Uh, But I want to give you a little definition and then tell you a story and show you in the scripture how to repent. So it's not really as complicated as you might think. So first of all, repentance is turning from everything I know to be sin toward God's best plan for life. It's really that simple. Say, Lord, what what in my heart and my life right now doesn't please you? I turn away from that, and I want to keep walking your way. I have faith that your plan is the best. Even when I can't see what's right out in front of me, I'm going to walk your direction and trust you. And that's the Christian life. That's the walk. Uh, Repentance, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, begins with humility because all good things do, right? Your first step on any journey with God in any adventure you're going to live, even your first step just getting to know Jesus for the first time starts with humility. It involves honesty, as Del taught us about last week, taking the mask off. This is the real me. I don't have to pretend anything. Lord, I, I know you know the truth anyway, and so I'll confess, I'll agree with you. It involves a choice, requires a choice, and it results in change. Repentance that doesn't result in change is really just a good intention. And what do they say about good intentions? What paves the road to hell? Yeah, that's what what I thought too. God isn't interested in us just making a show of it, raising our hands, giving an offering, doing some religious ritual. He actually wants our heart to change. And he offers us this incredible road of repentance. If we'll take a step on that road, God will empower us. He'll call us. He'll give us, he'll give us grace and ability that we didn't even know we had. In fact, we didn't have. He gives it to us. But as long as your heart stays hard, you'll never know what was possible with God. Repentance is saying no to sin and to self. And it's saying yes to Jesus and his vision, his will, his love, everything he intends for my life. And so anytime we're tempted, anytime that we recognize, wait, this is actually my way, not God's way, all we have to do is repent. And as we learned from Martin Luther, that was Jesus' will all along, that when Jesus said repent, he wasn't talking about just sort of a one-time deal or some sort of sign-up sheet. He was talking about you actually turn around and you walk 
a new way that involves maybe every day you're turning. Like any time there's a little hint of sin that rears its head in your heart, you turn. Your whole lifestyle is marked by turning from sin into what God has designed you for. Now, why should I repent? The Bible talks about this on just about every page. I mean, you can find it in every story. You can find people who didn't repent in the Bible and what happens to them. You can find amazing redemptive stories when people did repent and how God blessed them and saved them out of circumstances that on earth you would say there's no way out of this. When people repent, when they're humble, they're honest, they change their heart, they change their mind, God steps in. His grace, his power are made available. All right, so Mark 1.15, right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus comes on the scene and he makes this big announcement, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is, it's right in front of you, it's all around you, don't miss it. You can imagine all these people with blinders on, sort of, you know, dronishly heading their one direction, their way, my will, my way. Jesus says, repent, like open your eyes, look around you, there's a whole new reality that, that you could step into, there's a new direction your life could go. He also said in Luke 13, if you don't repent, you'll perish. That is, your way and your will lead to death, lead to destruction, lead to judgment. But when you repent and when you say, no, instead I'll serve God instead of myself, you get to jump on a whole different track where your future will lead. Acts 2.38, you might remember this scenario. It's right after Jesus rose from the dead and there's this huge crowd of people in, the, in Jerusalem that are all considering what's happened. And some of the people who were there in that crowd realized what had actually just happened, like they woke up. So I'm imagining some of the people in this crowd were the same ones that were yelling, crucify Jesus, just a couple days before this. And now they've seen the truth. And, and they look at Peter and they say, Peter, what should we do? And what does Peter say? join my church. No, he didn't say that. What did he say to do? Repent. Like you turn around. I mean, this is so simple. It's so fundamental. You turn around and you think differently. In Acts 17, Paul was standing up. We've shown pictures of this before. We've talked about the story of where Paul was with those Athenian philosophers on Mars Hill. And he looks at all their idolatry and all their ideas and all the philosophy. He says, in the past, God would ignore some of this ignorance, but now... God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day on which he will judge the world with justice. And he's given proof of this, evidence of this, by raising up Jesus from the dead. And then Revelation 2, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, to that church that had left its first love, to that church that needed revival, what did Jesus say they needed to do? See how far you've fallen, turn back to me, And now do the works that you did at first. Repentance is baked into the whole story of the Bible. And when you're willing to finally let go of your will and open up to what God's future is, everything changes. You see the power of God at work. So some of you have looked at the byline of our study. It's on the front of your book as well. Experiencing the joy of personal revival. And you say, yes, I want the joy. Well, I've got good news. To get that joy, repent. And you can start walking a new road, a totally new life. So this this concept of transformation is really personal to me because my own father 
at least in my own estimation, is the best example of what repentance looks like of anyone I've ever met. My dad, and some of you uh, who know me personally, you know I tell this story sometimes because it's one of my favorite stories. I mean, it's the story that showed me the light of the gospel, showed me the truth of all of this. My, my dad was, um, when I was a late elementary school kid, uh, so like 9, 10, and 11, that, that time frame, my dad was deep in addiction to drugs, uh, falling off the cliff in every respect in his life. He'd grown up in an alcoholic home. His upbringing was really difficult, terrible in fact. Uh, he had promised himself he would never be like his dad, that when he had a family, he would do it differently. But now as he was going deeper and deeper into the darkness, he was starting to realize that he was a lot like his dad. And he even came to the point where he thought, in the same way that my dad ruined my life, I'm going to ruin my kids' lives. And so along the way, uh, he was told by a doctor, we can't even believe you're still alive. He was doing so much speed that they didn't think a person could take that much. And he was doing all of it to try to be able to work enough so that he could support us and support all the drugs he had to buy. So that, of course, drove him into depression, which drove him to alcohol, and he just rode this terrible roller coaster of ups and downs, ups and downs, with no purpose to any of it. Um, he thought about multiple times on family vacations, he, would, he told us this later on, that he would actually be plotting like that we would go and check into a hotel, and he'd get all of us situated and make sure we had plenty of money, and then he would just disappear. And he kept trying to think, like, how could I really disappear? How could I just leave? Uh, because they don't want me anymore, no one wants me. Uh, he, was, he was actively considering how to end his life. Uh, he had laid out plans for that and just didn't have quite the courage to go through with it, although it wasn't really courage that was driving him, but cowardice because he didn't want to face the truth. He wasn't willing to be honest. And all through this time period, people were trying to share the gospel with him. My mom had been a Christian for just a couple of years. She was taking my sister and I to church, and we would actively pray every night you know, for daddy's salvation. Please save daddy. Please change daddy. What we would see of him was a lot of anger, a lot of rage. In the few moments he was home, they weren't pleasant moments. And, and so we would pray so much that God would do something to turn this story around. So it came to a moment of some sort of pinnacle, I guess, of this trial, where my dad was basically thinking, this is the end. I can't do this anymore. My mom was trying to follow Jesus as a baby Christian, but also at her wit's end and saying, I can't live with this guy. I can't put up with this anymore. Uh, there was a lot of darkness and difficulty that you could imagine they experienced in those times. Um, and so one day at the very edge of that catastrophe, my dad decided finally to open his heart and to listen to what so many people around him were saying, that there was hope in Jesus, that there was a different road you could walk. And I remember when he gathered our family into, um, into a room, which was very sort of out of character for him to do this, but he kind of hugged us together and he said, I need your help. I, I want to become a Christian. And um, we got to pray with my dad there. And I watched the, literally from that moment forward, everything change in our household. Like from, from an angry and largely secular worldview household without a lot of direction, and I was probably on the wrong road, my sister was probably on the wrong road. Uh, we watched our dad turn and our whole household turn a different way, and just overnight, uh, everything be different. And all of a sudden, where once there was selfishness and anger and pride and drugs and alcohol, it turned into love and mission and purpose and compassion and Bible and church, 
And, uh, and watching all of that transformation happen, as a young person myself, looking at that and going, oh, wow, this is all real. Like, God actually does miracles. He actually turns people's lives around. Uh, that's what led me then to put my faith in Jesus as well. I mean, I had been in church before that, but it hadn't been personal to me until I saw that and said, okay, now I'm, now I'm ready to follow uh, what Jesus has in store. So I look at all of that, and you say, well, why did you put a picture up of the jail? Um, and this is where I grew up in Medina County. My dad is the chaplain of the jail now. Uh, he does that full-time. My mom's actually the jail for the female, and my dad's chaplain for the male side of the jail. And he spends most of every day uh, coaching, counseling, preaching to people who are on the same road he used to be on facing a lot of the same struggles and the same weaknesses and difficulties, and offering them this hope. And along the way, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because what my dad has realized is basically every six weeks he has to get up and share his whole testimony uh, because the jail, of course, is rotating people all the time, and it's uh, above anything else. What people are looking for is hope. Like, is it possible my life could go a different direction? And my dad's story is one example you probably have examples in your life of how God has changed you and turned you or people around you where you say, yeah, I see that they, if left to their own devices, they would have gone the wrong way. But now I see what's possible. This is what repentance looks like. It's a total change of direction. You know, my dad's change was so fundamental that a couple months after he became a Christian, like he was learning all these things for the first time. My Mom and my sister and I were a lot, you know, we were pretty far ahead of him in terms of like Bible knowledge because we'd been in church for a little while. So he was like really running hard to try to catch up and learn all the things that he was supposed to know. It dawned on him a couple months after he was saved that like a Christian shouldn't be growing drugs in their house. And we didn't know about this, but he had actually built a, like a special closet with like a false wall that we didn't know about in our basement. And he, he had fluorescent lighting in there and he was doing all this. Just, you know, bingo. Like, so he, he threw all that away and he fully gave up drugs in that one moment and never went back. Just think God did that miracle. I mean, God empowered my dad to do what a lot of people spend a lifetime trying to, trying to do. And, and it began with this humility, this repentance of giving up his own way and finally fully yielding to the power of Jesus. Repentance is possible when you start with humility, when you get honest, and then you just turn. Say, from there, God gives you power that you don't have in and of yourself to finish the story. So I'd like to read to you about that. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. This is the text in the scripture that I think more clearly than any other tells us how to repent. If you say, I would love for my story to sound like that story, or for my son, or my father, or my mother, or whatever, but I don't know how to make that happen. Here's the truth. Ephesians 4, verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. And remember in Bible times when he talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about sort of the prevailing culture out there, the way most people live. He says, you can't live that way anymore. He says, because they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. You can imagine people with hard hearts walking their own way, doing their own thing, not willing to even listen to what others would say. You don't have to imagine very far. That's probably been you a time or two, right? I know it's been me. Because that's the way the world works. 
That's the way people go when left to their own devices without God. It says they wander far from the life of God. Like God has a life. He has power. He has purpose. There's a future. But we wander outside of that when we do it our way, when we insist on following up on our own pride. He says they have no sense of shame, verse 19. They live for lustful pleasure, and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So instead of this bright future that God offers, they just get caught in these endless loops of trying to find satisfaction in things that don't work, like drugs or alcohol or porn or a thousand other things, pride, money, career, accomplishment. And they're, and they're running after that, and they're always wishing for just a little bit more to finally feel full, and it never works. He says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. That's the turnaround. You know what that looks like. He says, throw it off. Get rid of it. That's not the direction you want to go. He says, that way of life is being corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Like God, is, he has created you for something incredible, something mind-boggling, something righteous and holy and eternal. So throw off your former way of life and get on with what God made you to do. Say, Man, I'm excited about that. Sign me up. But how do I do it? And here's the twist. It's not nearly as complicated as you might imagine. Verse 25. So, stop telling lies. Right back to last week, right? All the lies you tell yourself, all the lies you want other people to believe, lies you want God to believe, stop telling them. Stop telling lies to your neighbor, it says. We're we're all in this together, like as a body of Christ. Turn away from lying and start telling the truth. Repentance is turning around. It's doing the opposite of what you used to do. If you used to be a liar, turn. Turn. Tell the truth. Verse 26, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. As if you used to be an angry person, if that's where your life was headed, if that was your way and your will, turn around. Do the opposite of that. Um, I I was thinking about this this little kid that came into our house years and years ago. He was nine years old. Uh, His name was Ryan. He um, He was in foster care. That's why he came to us. And he came from just a really, really difficult background, um, sad, sort of the sad stereotype. I mean, so he grew up with a lot of anger and abuse around him, parents in and out of jail, lots of drugs, lots of, lots of difficulty, lots of moving around. This little kid was full of anger. There's no question about it. And if you pushed any little button on him, like he would, get, he would just fly into a rage and be throwing stuff around and shouting and acting like a wild animal. Um, and one day, in the midst of us fostering him, we only had him for maybe, I don't know, maybe five or six months, um, he looked up at me after we, were, we kind of pray with the kids before bed, and he looked up and said, I really want to be whatever your family is. This is a nine-year-old thinking this way. And I mean, but he'd been around, sadly, like he'd seen a lot. And he, then he saw our family and was like, wait, well, that's what I want. So he talked a lot about what that meant, and it was all these, you know, his understanding of the Bible was very beginner level, I mean, because he really, his only exposure to church was with us. Um, it was actually a, a bunch of VeggieTales videos we had at our house that he'd been watching, going like, so well, that's not actually how the Bible 
is, but it's like close. It's a good start, right? So, so he, he finally gets to this place where he's like, I want what you have. So we prayed with him. He gave his heart to Jesus. You know, it was so exciting to see how he changed, even from that day forward. That when he would be tempted to be angry, he would stop and pull back and say, wait, maybe I need to talk or maybe I need to listen or uh, instead of getting angry, instead of these rages. And, and just in this, this, even for a nine-year-old to see what repentance could look like, to turn from anger to peace. It, it could work no matter how old you are or how long you've been the old dog that won't do new tricks. It all can happen for you if you're willing to repent, if your hard heart softens. There's more. He says, instead, verse, or verse 28, he says, if you are a thief, quit stealing Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then generously give to others who are in need. Repentance is doing the opposite. So it's like the full turnaround. If you were a thief, what should you do? You stop stealing, but you go further. You actually turn the other way and you start working so hard that you have extra to give. Uh, Repentance is a total turnaround in your life. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. This is repentance of your lips, of your mouth. Instead, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And on and on it goes. Repentance is simply turning around. And so at, at, the, at, the, at the level that we all are at, sort of saying, well, I, I wish I could repent, I wish I had power, it, it really isn't about getting some sort of big checklist in front of us and saying, all right, I'm going to work on all this. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I would encourage you to do that, but that's not what's going to fix the problem. It's a heart attitude that turns from my way toward God's way. So I'll put it to you as a question. All right? And just think about the arrow. Like, which, which side of this is your life on? Will you turn from your way and walk God's way? What would that look like for you? Will you give up your sins or give up on your sins? Like, they're not going to work. So give up on your sins and put your faith in God instead. Will you let go of you fill in the blank and love Jesus, follow him instead? Let go of the idols you've been serving, the, the things you've been pursuing. Let go of the lust, the pride, the greed, the anger, the bitterness, the rage, the slander, the, the whole list of... All, we, we all know what the sins are, right? We live with that in our heart. And it boils out of us whenever we choose to let it. He says, walk away from that. Instead, you could choose to love Jesus instead, to love Jesus more than your sins. Will you seek your own way forward, or will you seek him? So this is the question we're faced with. Repentance is your way out of the life you've been living, and it's your way into the life God made for you. So I want to make sort of a declaration to you, not just a suggestion, a declaration on the authority of the Bible and the experience of almost all of us in the room who've walked this way. Your future is that way. Your future is with God. Your future is one that has left the sad spiral of darkness and the endless lust over here when it's your way and your will. And it's of a person who has a transformation story to tell. That when they finally let their heart break, when they finally let go of their pride, they were, they were able to turn and start walking a new way. And now God is using them in amazing ways. 
as a part of his plan, something that lasts forever. You can walk into your future, or you can keep ignoring it. It depends on whether or not you're willing to repent. So I'd like you to turn to one other scripture. Psalm 51. The team read a few verses of this earlier. I want to come back to it and invite you to pray a prayer of repentance. A prayer that would say, Lord, I am going to be honest with you. I need to turn around. And I'm not just going to believe that in some sort of a, like, here we are at church and we all believe that sort of way. I'm actually going to do it. The person who wrote this psalm was King David, the leader of God's people long ago, who was supposed to represent righteousness and light and truth for the whole world. And even though he was a writer of psalms and he defeated Goliath and he had all these stories of faith, he let himself compromise. He walked right back onto the road of his way and his will. He ended up breaking God's commandments. He committed adultery. He arranged for a guy's murder. He was hiding all of this. He was lying to people around them. He was dishonoring God. He was faking it in church. Finally, he gets confronted. His heart breaks. He repents. And maybe today, you need to do the same thing. Here's what he wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you, you only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God and renew a loyal spirit within me. You can imagine David here. He had access to all the, all the religious trappings around him of the temple and the, the sacrificial worship and the whole system in Leviticus, and he knew, the, he knew the rituals, and he could have kept faking it. Maybe like the churches in Martin Luther's day, he could have kept playing the game. Now, this isn't a person playing a game that we're hearing from. He's actually broken in his heart. This isn't, okay, Lord, I messed up. What do I need to do to make it up to you? This isn't, Lord, if I sinned X number of times, like, do I need to give X number of dollars to make this go away? No, he was done with that. The Old Testament version of that was sacrifice, where people would sin, and then they'd go offer a sacrifice and think, okay, now we're covered. But look what he says. Jump down to verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, 
You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. David knew that God doesn't care about your sacrifice if he doesn't have your heart. God doesn't care if you show up in church, if you give money, if you kiss statues, if you get baptized, if you sign cards, if you pray prayers. He doesn't care about any of that if your heart isn't in it. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. I'd like us to take a couple minutes in prayer. And rather than just me praying over you, I'd like for you in the quietness of your own heart to ask yourself, have I repented? Have I done it for the first time? Have I actually moved off of my track and got on, get onto God's track? Or maybe you're here today and you've, you've followed Jesus, you have faith, but you know there's areas of your life that need repentance. And so, like we learned from Martin Luther, just repenting once isn't the end of the story. Your whole life should be characterized by turning toward God and away from yourself. So we're going to take a few minutes to pray silently. And Trevor's going to sing over us a prayer of repentance. And I just invite you to bow right where you are and ask God to work in your heart.
I've accepted, commandments I've rejected to pursue my selfish end. And I confess I need you to revive me, leave selfishness behind me, take up my cross again. And I and power of Jesus. Go and keep seeking him. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.